If you have a Bible with you, could I uh, encourage you to go to Romans chapter 8? Maybe you have it on your phone or on your iPad. There's also Bibles in the racks around you in the pews where you're sitting. Romans chapter 8. If you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles in the back. Love for you to pick one up this morning on your way out on that brown table back there. Uh, speaking in the back, uh, we're uh, putting back there, there's three chairs back there, and those particular chairs are there for you to try out. Uh, they're lettered A, B, and C, and we want you to try them because they're going to be, we're proposing that they be used in the new facility. If you're new to New Hope, we're building a new building over on East Saginaw Highway, and we need your help. If you would try those out, and there's a clipboard back there, and you can write down the one that you like. Put your name down and put the letter of your choice next to it. That'd be a huge help to us. Thanks for doing that. Those will be there for a couple weeks, by the way, if you didn't get a chance to do it today. Well, we're going to celebrate baptism in a few minutes. That'll be fun, right? Okay. Let me try that again. We're going to celebrate baptism in a few minutes. It's pretty exciting, right? Yeah. All right. Cool. Very, very cool. Um, Romans chapter 8, and then uh, we'll get to the baptism. So we were reminded last week that Paul boldly wrote in Romans 8.1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that's enough, right? That's, that's just great the way it is. That's an amazing statement. And here's why we said last week that is especially important for you. It's especially important when you hear accusations and you hear them all the time. And they might sound like this. You don't really feel forgiven, do you? That can come from Satan. That can come from your social circle. That can even come from yourself. We'll come back to that in just a minute. So it's especially important that you know that there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul closes chapter 8 with this crescendo. It's a song of security. And it just keeps mounting higher and higher and higher. And what you're about to look at in just a few moments is the apex of this declaration of God's capacity to keep and protect a true believer. So I want to pray with you before we step into this material because it is so weighty. And I don't mean heady, but I mean weighty in the reality of what God is communicating to us through His Word. Would you pray with me about that? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that, that we would shun boredom in this moment. That we would be ignited by the reality of what you're communicating in Romans 8. There's a reason you caused Paul to write this down. And many of us were raised in church. And, and so we know this stuff and it seems so familiar. God, that we would have the passion for this of a new believer someone who's reading it for the first time, that you would do that for us. We pray that you would do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray for those of us in the auditorium, for those who are watching online right now, for each of us who name the name of Christ, and for those who haven't yet met him, that you would remind us, show us, teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray for this in Jesus' matchless name. And all God's people said, amen. Last week, we looked at this biblical proof that God's never going to let you go, and Paul kind of started building his case in verse 31. Look with me on the screen just to be reminded of this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. 
The reality is God will not fail us. Amen, New Help? He will not fail us, but is it possible that we will fail him? Ooh. Yeah. Is it possible that when we fail him in the midst of him, before you answer this out loud, just process this thought, is it possible that when we fail him, it can be to the degree of being lost? Before you think that through too quickly, I'm just going to ask you, what, what about this issue? Suppose a really great struggle comes along in your life, a huge temptation, and you fail. What about then? What about in the midst of a failure on your part, then what? That's exactly what Paul hits head on when he comes into verse 35, 36, 37. He hits this issue directly. And he starts out with this list of seven. So go with me to verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? See, it's a list of seven, right? And do you notice that as I put this on the screen for you, it says who in your Bible, but in parentheses next to it, I put what? Because of the way it's written in the Greek language, it can be either word, because there's who's who bring tribulation to us, but it's usually circumstances, it's, it's a what, it's at the same time, it's both a who and a what. And this is a rhetorical question from Paul, but it's a really valid rhetorical question because every one of us have thought it. What about that thing that I did? What, what about that thing that happened to me? Does that mean I'm no longer under God's protective hand? Can circumstances threaten our security in Christ? Well, last week we established that there's three accusers that come your way. One is Satan. One is your social circle, and one is yourself. And because we know ourselves, we accuse ourselves. We do. We, we beat ourselves up. But we saw last week it is impossible for any of those to take your salvation because each of those three, they'd have to be more powerful than God because God gave your salvation. But the reality is they sure can intimidate, especially Satan. Like spiritual bullies can bring the heat against us. And now Paul is laying out this fourth potential threat. He's saying, what about circumstances? Is it possible that even when things go horribly wrong in your life, is that an indicator that you're no longer under God's protective hand? Now, if we're going to be really honest, we're going to, we're going to say nasty things that happen to us, really dangerous circumstances, even hostile things, they can have a pretty negative influence on a believer's attitude. And each of those circumstances, they open us up to hard things like emotional trauma. And we begin questioning and trying to figure out, well, does God have my back or not? And if you don't think so, just look at the book of Job. If you've never read Job's story in the Old Testament before, he went through exactly that kind of a struggle. That kind of a trauma came to his life. And when you're going through it, sometimes it feels like God doesn't have your back. The reality is, church, that's why you can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your emotions because they betray you. You have to lean into something that's absolutely rock solid. You have to lean into God's word, something that never changes. The God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But let's go back to the question. Can an event become so severe that it can cause a believer to sin themselves out of salvation? That's why Paul's asking this really big question in verse 35. Who or what will separate us from the love of Christ? Now, in context, when he says love of Christ, 
It's representing salvation. It's representing an individual who knows Jesus as their Savior. Because I cannot know the love of Christ until I know the Savior as the Savior, right? I can't know the love of Christ unless I know Him. And the longer I walk, the the older I get, the more I understand that component. I, I get that, that He first loved me. I didn't first love Him. He chased after you. He pursued you. Otherwise, we'd have something to boast about, right? So we're told in Scripture, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Now, notice what's being stated here. This is not referring to my love for Jesus, but rather his love for me. To say that I will never be separated from my love for Christ, that's no great comfort, right? Because I'm like a roller coaster. I bet you are too. Your emotions come and go. And we we feel powerful when we're singing, crown him with many crowns. Yeah, he's got me. And yet, when things go really, really bad, we're not so sure. See, it's amazing assurance, though, when the creator of the universe says, his love for me will never fade. It'll never cease. Let me remind you of what Scripture says. Look with me on the screen at Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. When I was on staff at Youth Haven, Lori and I served there for 15 years working with underprivileged children. We taught this verse to them all the time. And and it was because many of them came from really hard background situations in which they hadn't known the stability of a strong family. And some of them hadn't even known the love of a mom and dad consistently in their life. And so we had to remind them, God said... Even though others have abandoned you, he will never abandon you. How important that is that to a child who hasn't known stability in their life? Uh, if one statement by God is not enough, let me show you another one. Deuteronomy 31.6. The Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Joshua 1.5. I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Now, I know in those last two instances, he's speaking specifically to individuals that he's talking to in those moments, but what you're looking at, church, is the nature and the character of God. He won't fail. He won't desert. Do you know what that means? It means it's not dependent upon your capacity to sustain it. It's dependent upon his capacity because there's many things that can interrupt your affection. God says, there's nothing that interrupts my affection. So the major issue that Paul's hitting here is the power and the permanence of the love of Christ. To do what, Mark? To take us through our battles here on earth. To take us through those struggles that you and I face. And to take us through the judgment and beyond. That's a great promise from God, amen? Not only to see us through these struggles here on earth, but to take us through the final judgment. See, if you're new to church and you're wondering about this stuff, Christians have confidence to face the day of judgment because we know the love of Christ Jesus. We know that he will not let you go. So Paul hits all these bullet points to say, there's some things that are going to come along in your life. They're hard things. And just know that you're not being sheltered from those struggles. God lets you go through those, and you need them for spiritual growth. And you need them so others can watch to see how you go through them. In Romans 8, 28, God reminds us those struggles that we're going through, those difficulties, some of you are going through it right now. Those difficulties that you're going through, they're working for you, not against you. 
God says, I permit those trials because I'm going to use them for your ultimate good, not your immediate good. It does, definitely doesn't feel like it in the immediate sometimes, amen? <laughs> it doesn't always feel good. But God says, I'm going to use it for your ultimate good. Well, what might those trials look like? I ask myself that question, and Paul answers the question. Look with me just at four of them. He lists a bunch of them out. Here's just four of them. Tribulation. Now, tribulation's got this idea of being crushed. In the ancient world, they used it of the wine industry when they were crushing grapes and they would throw them into the vat and press them down or, or figs when they gathered them and they would compress them. That's where this word comes from. But in the Bible, it's most often used of outward difficulties, but it's also used of emotional stress. Now, let me associate that with a word picture for you. Think of Peter. Even if you're new to church, you've probably heard of Peter betraying Jesus. On the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter's in a garden outside looking in the palace, and he sees the questioning that's going on. Now, Jesus told Peter before that event ever happened, he said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail because Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Now, Peter's standing before a fire. Jesus is on the other side inside the palace, and somebody walks up to him and says, Peter, I know you. You're with him. And his response is, I don't know the man. Second time, somebody comes and does the exact same thing. His response is, I don't know the man. Somebody does it a third time, and Peter's response is, I blankety blank, 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 don't know the man. Is there some pressure, some tribulation going on there? Is there some crushing of Peter in that moment? What do you think the crushing was like afterwards? The crushing of his spirit. That's the kind of thing that Paul's got in mind in here. What might that look like in your life right now? Lost relationships? Lost jobs, lost finances, maybe even to the degree you've lost your health. That's the kind of stuff Job was writing about. All those things took place in his life. So Paul adds to it, it's not just tribulation, it's distress. That's another thing that we face. And distress is like tribulation, except it's got this picture of being hemmed in on every side with no place to move. Think claustrophobia. Think, 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 think in a situation where someone's got such strict confinement, they're absolutely feeling helpless, hemmed, hemmed in on every side, no place to turn. During that kind of a trial, what are you going to do? Because you just want it to end. Sometimes that looks like temptation. Constantly facing a barrage of temptation. And it might take place in the classroom. It might be on the job site. It might even be in your own house where you're assaulted day after day after day with temptation that feels like it's just crushing you. The scripture tells us what we're supposed to be remembering in times like that. Look with me on the screen at this promise from God's word. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Now, stop right there. I know church people, and I know that we know these verses, and we're thinking, yeah, I know that one. I know, that's familiar. Stop and think about what's being said here. There's nothing that you're going to face that isn't common to those who have gone before you. They've known this. But watch how God responds. God, who is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you may be able to endure it. This isn't saying you will not go through temptation. This is saying you're going to go through some really hard things. 
But when you face them, God's got your back because He's going to be your power source. The reality is you are going to face hard temptations. And the reality is you're going to face things that are greater than you can handle. You're going to face things that are greater than you can handle on your own, in your own power. So that's why God says, you've got to lean into my power. You've got to lean into my strength. I've got the power for you to endure. So he provides the power to defy your temptation. Go on to the next one, persecution. Now, biblically, this is speaking of an affliction here that suffered for the name of Jesus. I've talked to enough of our church that I know that there's quite a number of individuals who've suffered loss for the name of Jesus. Did you know that in the midst of that, God actually gives you a promise of a double blessing? He says, blessed are you on earth when you endure it, and I've got a great reward for you in heaven. Look at his statement. These are Jesus' own words in Matthew 5, 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So God says, I've got rewards. Did you know that God has rewards waiting for you in eternity? I'm guessing his rewards are not cheap. I'm thinking they're probably pretty good. I don't know exactly what they are, but he said, one is a crown of righteousness that's waiting for you. God gives out great crowns too, I'm thinking as well. Let's go to the last one, famine and nakedness. And there's a reason I put those two together. This is not talking about nudity. Rather, this is talking about this idea of being so destitute that you can't even clothe yourself or your family. Now, you might be thinking, I, I don't think that's going to happen in this world in this day. Now, let me tell you where that thought comes from. This famine, this nakedness that he's writing about, this is the result of being culturally ostracized for the name of Jesus. Being culturally put out and being discriminated against for the name of Christ. Now, do you think that couldn't happen in your world today? An example of that could be an employment struggle on which you take a stand for Christ and you lose your job over it. You lose your source of income and you're no longer able to afford or care for your needs of your family. That happened all the time in the first century. Many of these early believers faced that. They were tortured for Christ. They faced nakedness and famine all the time. So Scripture reminds us in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Invariably, whenever I share that verse, I've had people come up to me and say, I, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that verse, Mark, because I've never been persecuted. I'm wondering, is that saying I'm not a believer? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus and you haven't been persecuted yet, you just wait, Okay. I know, that's no small comfort, but it's coming. It, it, it's, it's a reality. So in the midst of that, true believers persevere during times like that. Not because of our power, but because of God's power. Now, maybe you hear me keep saying true believer, and, and maybe you're thinking, what do you mean by that, Mark? You keep saying true believer. What, what is a true believer? Well, only Jesus knows who is really a believer and who isn't. But he gives indicators. He's the one who sits on the great white throne. He gets to decide that. But he gives things like this, John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. What does he mean by that? Well, holding fast to something, abiding in God's word doesn't earn you salvation, first of all. You can't earn it. That's the error of the Pharisees. That's what they thought. This is, this is the presence of those biblical qualities in your life to the degree that you're living it out. 
There's fruit in your life as a result of spending time in God's Word. Not that you've got your nose constantly in the Bible, but rather that it's affecting how you live. Let's go to the next verse, verse 36, 836. Just as it is written for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now, when we go through trials, and I don't mean if you go through trials because it's going to happen. When we go through trials for his sake, do you think that he will desert you? Okay, like two of you agree. <laughs> when we go through trials for his sake, do you think he will desert you? Okay, good. We're all on the same page on that. That's not the nature and character of God. So Paul says, no, the opposite is true. He gives you power to conquer in the midst of your trial. He says you're actually more than conquerors, literally super conquerors. Uh, don't be thinking superhuman at this point. Don't, don't be thinking superhero like Thor or Superman, okay? I'm not talking that kind of superhero. You're more than conquerors. So this word is used, the only Greek word I'm going to put on the screen this morning, it's the word hupernikao. The, the industry Nike got their name from this. You, you look at the phrase and you can see it. Nikao, it means to be a conqueror. So Nike liked that and they took it and attached it to all their clothing Nikao is a conqueror. Hooper Nikao is a super conqueror. That's what God is saying about you. It's a compound verb that's being used here. It literally means to conquer with success to spare. How could that be true of me? Well, because of Jesus, because of his victory, he gives victory and more victory. He doesn't just cut you a little bit. He says, you've got it to spare the reality is, church, you're not a bunch of Eeyores just trying to figure out how to muddle through somehow. Well, only the younger parents remember who Eeyore is, right? Okay, if you haven't had Winnie the Pooh playing in your house in a while, you probably don't have little kids. You remember Eeyore, the, the little donkey? Oh, bother. I suppose if I have to. God says, you're not a bunch of Eeyores. New Hope, you are victors. You follow a God who is ever-present in the midst of your struggle. These are not promises with conditions. It's not God saying, well, if you do this, then I'll do this. This is established fact. Paul's saying, you've got to claim this because you are in Jesus. Therefore, nothing can separate you from his love. So I'm challenging you this morning. Believe this and celebrate this. You get to watch baptism in just a few moments Someone who believes it, and they're celebrating the fact that Jesus rescued them. Because Paul says this is established fact. Jesus has given you the victory. So New Hope, when you fight, when you come against these struggles, you're fighting from a position of victory, not from a position of defeat. Maybe you're thinking, how can you say this so authoritatively, Mark? Well, this is not some hype service, right? This isn't what we do on weekends at New Hope, just hype people up. This is a declaration of God's own word. This is why I can say this to be true. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is true of you. You are free from judgment because he died for you. You are free from defeat because he lives in you. And then, therefore, you cannot be separated from his love. You are free from fear. Why can I say that? Because Jesus intercedes for you, church. 
You saw in Hebrews last week, he is continually before the throne of the Father at the Father's right hand, interceding for you, whoever lives to intercede for you. And here's the last one. You are free from discouragement because Jesus is coming again. It doesn't matter if things fall apart on this planet. You've got an eternal promise. So catch what Paul's done here. In Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. And on this end, he says, there is no separation. No condemnation, no separation. If God is for you, who could be against you? So ultimately, we overwhelmingly conquer because our final reward far surpasses any loss you might suffer on this planet. You find the very aged Paul when he's writing the book of Corinthians, reminding individuals, it doesn't matter what you lose for the name of Christ. Look at his statement here, 2 Corinthians 4.16, do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. We come now into the last part of the crescendo, verses 38 and 39, and he's got this list of 10 things, and I'm not going to hit all 10 things. I just want you to see the way that he states it. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a beautiful, stunning summary. We'll wait for the baptism people to be done because I don't want you to miss this. Take your time, you guys. You're good. We're all family here. This is too important, you guys. What a stunning summary. Look at what he's just listed first. Neither death. What does this planet fear more than anything? Death. Do we not build giant megaplexes to keep it away? They're called hospitals. Do we not pay doctors really well to help us get away from it? So Paul starts the list out with death. It's the final enemy. Every one of us face it. And yet Paul says even that, even that cannot and will not separate you from Jesus. Why is that true? Because Jesus brought victory out of death. So death no longer has a stinger for those who believe in Jesus. It doesn't have the ability to take you out. So he contrasts neither death nor life. Why would he list life? Well, because of everything he's just talked about, all the struggles, all the temptations, all the events that you face in the midst of your week, things that are going to happen to you next week you don't even know about yet. In the midst of death and life, all the temptations, things present, things to come, Everything that we're experiencing here and yet will experience that you haven't yet, powers from on high, powers from below, and he culminates with this all-inclusive phrase, nor any other created thing. How is that so significant? Well, only God is uncreated, right, New Hope? God wasn't created. God's always been. So the only uncreated thing 
is God. So he says, any other thing that's been in existence, nothing has the ability to separate you from God, nor any other created thing. So there is absolutely nothing that can drive a wedge between the children and the Father. Now, if you're living in Rome in the first century and you've received this letter, you don't know how important this is to you until your government turns on you. And the government begins to bring the heat. And there's a person put in power by the name of Nero who decides, I want nothing to do with these people. And it's not long before their blood begins to soak the sand inside the amphitheater as they're thrown to the wild beast and the gladiators take them to the sword and Nero uses them for nightlights. All of these believers who have received this letter from Paul, and he says, there's nothing going on that God doesn't have control over. And in the midst of your struggle, I got you. God says in the midst of this, I got you. When God says that new hope, does he mean it? Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how horrible it might be, God means that. See, severance from God's love, his ability to rescue and bring good out of bad, severance from God's love is unimaginable, unthinkable, even to the degree of thinking that God could have stopped loving Jesus on the cross when he took all the sins of the world upon him, that the father could stop loving the son, that's as unthinkable as the father stopping loving you. Even though there were those who were openly mocking him saying, you think you're so great? You saved others? Bring yourself down off the cross. Go ahead, do it, rescue yourself. Well, they didn't understand and they didn't know that it was only Friday. Sunday was coming, right? They just didn't know. So Jesus himself, he closes this for us. He says, you want a real picture of what it means for me to take you out of every circumstance that you think you're going through that's absolutely horrible? You still think it's possible to be dislodged as a true believer from God's grace? Look at what Jesus has to say in John 10, 27. I know them. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is a God who knows and loves and protects us beyond measure. Is that a God worth going on display for? It is. You get to see a person who's about to say, I'm going on display for God. I'm willing to say, I believe this, I own this, and I know that he saved me. That's what baptism is all about, right? So this is a God who's worth going on display for. And you're going to see display right now. Let's watch it together, church, and get ready to celebrate.